This morning I'd like to talk to you about something that perhaps you've wrestled with a large part of your lives. Let me ask you this. Have there been situations in your lives um, that have stumped you, that have kind of thrown you for a loop? Maybe occurrences when you couldn't quite make out what was going on. What was all about? Why was it happening? What was God doing in the midst of it? For example, a couple scenarios. Maybe you're a young couple and you'd like to have children. You love children, but you, but you don't have them. And you look around you and it seems like all your friends, all your married friends have children, but you don't. And you might think, wow, they have kids. Why can't we have kids? We'd make great parents. And you ask why. Another scenario. Maybe you're uh, a young man or woman or in your, your, in your maybe late 30s or early 40s, and, and you've never been married. You'd like to be married, uh, but you're not. It seems like everybody you know has found somebody to spend their life with, and yet you're, you haven't, and, and you're still single. And you wonder why. Another scenario. Maybe you're retired. You're in your golden years, and all of a sudden tragedy strikes. And one of your grown children, a son or a daughter, is struck down in the prime of life. Cancer, an accident, heart attack. And you wonder why this has happened. Why couldn't it have been me? I've lived most of my life. They have their whole life ahead of them. Life full of promise. Why them? Why? Now, these kinds of questions that plague us and that haunt us, questions that hang with us throughout our lives, Let's get a little more specific, a little more personal. Anita was a friend of mine. She was quiet and she was intelligent. She was gentle. And I first met her in kindergarten. We spent the next 13 years going to school together. And I liked her and respected her. And she was a friend. And after college, a few years after college, I received word that she had died. She had ended her own life. Postpartum depression. And I was stunned. How could this have happened? Uh, what was going on? What about the husbands, the husband and the kids that are left behind? Why Anita? Why? Another example. Tom, a guy I knew in college, is a guy who is never quite settled. He, he's always moving from one thing to the other, never quite happy. He's 50 years old now, and he's never content. And, and, and it bothers him, and, but yet there's something missing in his life, and yet he keeps making choices that, that keep him from finding the happiness and the, and the contentment and the, and the stability that he needs and wants. And a lot of his friends ask, why? Sometimes, of course, we don't even understand God, do we? Sometimes think happen, things happen in life, and we wonder, what is God doing? And that's, those are the sort of questions that David is dealing with here in Psalm 131. In, in verse 1, he mentions things that he doesn't comprehend. He calls them great matters. And he's implying that there are questions in his life for which he does not have answers. Remember the Radio Shack commercial from a few years back? You've got questions. We've got answers. Well, in life, it doesn't work that way, does it? We all have questions, but we don't always have answers, at least answers that are satisfactory that resonate as complete. 
Well, in this psalm, Psalm 131, as we close up our summer sermon series through selected psalms, we get a look at how David dealt with these questions, these great matters that he couldn't really answer. So let's take a look now again at Psalm 131. If you're not there still, turn back with me, if you would, to Psalm 131. And, and as you do that, just a couple of comments. You might be thinking, how can we spend the next 20, 25 minutes on three short verses? Well, a couple of thoughts. First, Charles Spurgeon, who was a great 19th century preacher, said this about Psalm 131. He said it's one of the shortest to read, one of the longest to learn. Second, if we can begin to learn it, that is to apply it consistently to our lives, as King David is encouraging us to do, if we can learn it, it will help us greatly when we run into questions and situations for which there doesn't seem to be a satisfactory answer. Great matters in life. And thirdly, David is not advocating a a non-intellectual cop-out to the big questions in life. I mean, David was a well-educated man. He was connected. He was the king and ruler of of many, many, many people in his land. So he's not advocating a non-intellectual kind of approach and cop-out to life, a, a totally blind faith. In fact, Scripture tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with our what? Heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that we are to grow in the, the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. In other words, we are to use the mind that God has given us to seek to understand our, our, the word of God, the world around us, ourselves, the way things happen, and, and to seek for answers. But David also acknowledges from his own life and in this passage that there are simply some situations and some questions in life for which there simply are no answers. And those are the questions and the concerns that, that David is addressing. And they're not new. They're questions that have rattled the cages of people for centuries. We, we see it in the Proverbs, another Old Testament book, where the writer of Proverbs says this, There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. In other words, he's saying, I really don't understand everything about nature. And we still don't, do we? We're still discovering things. He says, I don't completely understand how things work mechanically. He says, I don't even understand love. There's a lot in life that we don't completely understand. Now, this is a psalm. As we know, psalms are typically sung. And what David does, as all good songwriters do, he captures in this psalm a theme or issue, or in this instance, a question. And songwriters have done that for, for centuries. We see it in the last uh, several decades, just some of the song titles that come to mind. In the 60s, Pete Seeger, the great folk writer, said this. Folk, uh, folk singer said this. Where have all the flowers gone? Um, in the 70s, Pink Floyd, the great British rock band, is there anybody out there? You too, do you feel loved? Um, you know, just the songs on the radio now, Am I Wrong?, there's, there's lots of songs out there that, that ask questions and delve into certain themes. And so David, this, the, the, the question and the theme that he's addressing is, what do you do when you come uh, up against a question or issue that, that is just bigger than, than you, that you can't answer, a situation you can't fix? What do you do? How do you respond? Um, and so David would have been a thoughtful, intelligent man. He would have asked questions throughout the course of his life. Uh, things like, why me? Why do I get to be king? Why was I chosen? 
Why was I born in a country where I learned about the God of Israel? I could have born, been born somewhere else. Why did my, my, my children rebel, many of them? Why did my son Absalom have to die? Why did God forgive me and leave me in power even though I committed adultery and arranged for a murder? David would ask all sorts of questions for which he didn't have satisfactory answers. And being a king, he would have been faced with huge decisions on, on a daily basis, decisions that would have had uh, ramifications upon his people. And he didn't always know what the right decision would have been. And so he would have been at times feeling overwhelmed or, or humbled or inadequate. Anybody who's been in leadership at any level knows those feelings, don't they? And so David has to come to a place in this psalm. He, he, he gives us the, the lesson that he realizes his limitations, that he doesn't have it all together, doesn't have all the answers. And he's stretched to the point where he has to trust, which is a difficult thing for many of us to do because we want to control things. We want to know the outcomes. We want to have solutions. We want to fix things. We want to have the answers. But David realizes there are certain places in life where you just simply have to trust God with the questions that are being asked. And you have to trust God for the answers that you may never get from him. Which is a lot easier said than done. Because when you lose your job and you can't find another one, you ask why. Or when you lose a loved one uh, to a disease, you ask why. When your marriage deteriorates and you face divorce, you ask why. When you worry about the direction that somebody you care about is taking in their life, you ask why. And when we come up against those questions, uh, we often turn for answers in the wrong places. Some people ride their whole lives on the back of a question mark. And they look for answers in things like drug or sex or alcohol, or career, or reputation, whatever it might be, they try to find the answers to these questions anywhere they can. I knew George, uh, George uh, when we lived in Canada in the early 90s, uh, George was a Cree Indian, uh, just a really outgoing, fun guy. He had a second grade education. Uh, he had been abandoned by his parents at birth. Uh, he was sexually abused multiple times. He bounced from foster home to foster home to foster home. Until finally he was adopted uh, around 11 or 12 or 13. And George had a lot of questions in his life. Why did my parents give me up? How come I was abused? Why can I not shake the addiction to alcohol and pornography that is, is pulling me down? And George went through a large portion of his life looking for answers to questions in the wrong places. Now, eventually, George came to faith in Christ, but he really still struggled and still often looked for those answers in the wrong things. Now, a lot of us might be like that, not to the extreme of George, but a lot of us look, go to the wrong places to get answers to our questions. And yet, when we look at this psalm, when we focus on what this psalm has to say to us, it tells us something different, a different approach, a different perspective. My heart is not proud, verse 1. O Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. You see, David learned his lesson over the course of his life. 
He learned his lessons from his struggles with his, his family, his children, with his, with his marriage and his, his sins, his decision-making. He learned a very important lesson. He learned perspective. He, he learned humility. Scott Gibson renders a translation of this verse. O Lord, my attitude is not proud. I, I know I don't have it all together. I know my place. I was a shepherd and some things I simply cannot understand. And so the first lesson we pull out of this from David is that when we run out of answers, we are to practice humility before God. Look at verse 2. I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So David has a, is painting a picture here of a child who is relaxed and comfortably resting in his, his or her mother's arms. A picture of trust and of love and of peace. Uh, and, and, and a picture of a child who doesn't want anything more than to be held and embraced by her mother. You know, whether we're 4 or 14 or 40 or 84, there are all times when we want to be held. We need an embrace. We need a hug. We need, we need a physical touch. There's nothing quite like being held by your mother. Most of us have memories of, of that. Maybe we were homesick with the flu or we came home from school after a rough day or we were frightened by a storm or scared by something. There's nothing like the embrace of someone who, who loves you and cares for you. And that's how David saw God. When David had run out of answers for his questions, when he didn't know what to do next, what did he do? He approached God like a child turns to his or her mother. And he was at peace. And he felt loved, he felt assured, he felt comforted. That doesn't sound very macho, does it? it we might think, well, that kind of makes David sound like a, a softy. But he was far from a wimp. In fact, he was a great soldier. He defeated hundreds and thousands in battle. He led his armies to great victories. And he was a, had a way of the ladies. David was a man's man. And yet David realized that there were times in life when he would not have answers, when he couldn't fix it, when he was faced by questions that he could not answer. And the best thing to do was to seek his father's embrace and seek his father's presence. So when we, are, when we run out of answers, we are to crawl into God's lap and feel his embrace and his presence. Now, some of you might be thinking, that sounds like a little bit of a cop-out, like a crutch. But the reality is that sometime, somehow, some way in our life, something is going to happen to us. And it's going to be something that is going to flatten us, and we will not have the answers, and we will not have the solution, and we will not have control over what happens. And the only thing that's going to help us at that point is the, the embrace and the presence of a loving Heavenly Father. Because you may be a game-winning player in this, this, this thing called life. You might intellectually be an Einstein or Herculean in your stamina, your strength, and your toughness. But at some point, something will happen and, and, and we won't have the answers. And we won't be able to get our mind around what is going on and make any sense of it. And so David, in this psalm, a man who in humility realizes great need to God, emphasizes this point. That when we run out of answers, we are to seek God's presence and seek his embrace. A few years ago, there was a bumper sticker which asked the question, Jesus is the answer. 
And some writer quipped, well, what was the question? Well, we know what the questions are, right? Do I have meaning? Is there a purpose? You know, does God love me? So on and so forth. And this text encourages us to remember we are to seek God's embrace in his presence when we run up against difficult things in life. In 1993, Nancy and I moved to Canada. We just graduated from seminary, and uh, we headed north of the border 300 miles. And um, about a month after we got there, Nancy's father, Carl, died. He was 66 years old, and he had been diagnosed with a brain tumor about two years before that. He was a good man. He, with his wife, raised 10 kids. They had a grandfather of 30, served his church, served his community, Worked extremely hard, very honest. He had just retired from farming when he's diagnosed. And he did not get to enjoy the fruit of his labor in his golden years. And it was tough because we were several hundred miles away and we didn't get to see him often. When we'd see him, we could see the deterioration. Uh, we were losing him physically, but also mentally. And it didn't make sense and it didn't seem fair. And I didn't have any answers. I was fresh out of seminary in my first church, but I could not answer the questions that came to me. Why? Why did this happen? How could it have happened now? What is the purpose in this? What is God doing in this situation? I still haven't answered all those questions. I mean, I can give you some answers, certainly, but they're not completely satisfying, are they? But this text and this, this passage encourages us, you and me, and us, that when we run out of answers, we're to seek God's presence, to seek his love and his embrace. And when we do this, we can do it together as we gather together in worship on Sundays. And we can do this in prayer when we ask God to help us and strengthen us and to assure us and comfort us and teach us and to help us through this, the situations that really have no answers. And we can do this when we read his word and the word feeds us and gives us his perspective and it helps us to see through, see us through our lives. And this is the hope that, that of what David gives to the Israelites and to God's people. Verse 3, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. So when we run out of answers, we are to put our hope in God. We are to trust in the great and glorious God that David knew and worshipped. The God to whom we can go when we run out of answers, knowing that being in his presence is really all we may need at that time. Now, I, I don't know the questions that you are facing. Maybe it could be, how do we make our ends meet at the end of the month? Why am I ill or struggling with my health? Why have I lost a loved one earlier than I anticipated? Why is my marriage falling apart? How can I get my kids to walk with the Lord and make good choices? What's going to happen to me as I get older? So on and so forth. The encouragement we can get from this psalm enables us to take steps further in faith as we live our lives for Jesus. So when we run into questions for which we do not have answers, we are to practice humility before God. We are to, to seek God's embrace and trust in him as a child does in her mother. And we are to put our hope in the one who lived and died and rose again, the one who loves us beyond our imagining. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
a very short and simple passage, but as Charles Spurgeon said so many years ago, a very long one to learn. Lord, help us to be people who who seek you with our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We don't use this as a cop-out, but help us to be people who recognize our limitations and to know that there are certain things for which we will not have a, a satisfactory, complete answer. And when those things happen, we come in those situations, Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to trust in you and seek your presence as a child nestles into her mother's womb. And help us, Lord, to be people who put our hope in you, who find our hope in and through Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen.